Oh. <laughs> Close to my cabbage. Should we go in the other room and do it? <laughs> yeah. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, that should be fun. Cool. That done. That? Yeah. Right, dinner. <laughs> Welcome back to series two of At the Table. This is episode two. So I'm Lucy. I'm Joe. I'm Beth. And I'm John. So today we're going to be looking at the story of Daniel in the Lion's Den. It's another of what we've called Sunday school classics. So a lot of people will have heard the basics of the story. It can pretty picture some sort of scene of it. But we wanted to really unpack it and see what the story is really about and what goes on. So we hope you enjoy and get something from this episode. Okay, so our reading today is from Daniel 6. And we're going to be reading it from the message version. So uh, in here, this bit is called Daniel in the Lion's Den. Darius reorganised his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors to administer all the parts of his realm. Over them were three vice-regents, one of whom was Daniel. The governors reported to the vice-regents, who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice-regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. Now I'm thinking, <laughs> Daniel wrote this. <laughs> I'm amazing. <laughs> the vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or skeleton in Daniel's life that they could use against him, but they couldn't dig up anything. He was totally exemplary and trustworthy. They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct, so they finally gave up and said, we're never going to find anything against this Daniel unless we can cook up something religious. The vice-regents and governors conspired together, and then went to the king and said, King Darius, live forever. We've convened your vice-regents, governors, and all your leading officials, and have agreed that the king should issue the following decree. For the next thirty days, no one is to pray to any god or mortal except you, O king. Anyone who disobeys will be thrown into the lion's den. Issue this decree, O king, and make it unconditional as if written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians. King Darius signed the decree. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray, just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising his God. The conspirators came and found him praying, asking God for help. They went straight to the king and reminded him of the royal decree that he had signed. Did you not, they said, sign a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any god or man except you for the next thirty days, and anyone caught doing it would be thrown into the lion's den? Absolutely, said the king, written in stone like all the laws of the Medes and Persians. Then they said, Daniel, one of the Jewish exiles, ignores you, O king, and defies your decree. Three times a day he prays. At this, the king was very upset and tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix he'd put him in. He worked at it the whole day long. The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But he said to Daniel, Your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the den. The king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles, fixing Daniel's fate. The king then went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. 
At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out anxiously, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, saved you from the lions? O king, live forever, said Daniel. My God sent his angel who closed the mouths of the lion so that they would not hurt me. I've been found innocent before God and also before you, O king. I've done nothing to harm you. When the king heard these words, he was happy. He ordered Daniel taken up out of the den. When he was hauled up, there wasn't a scratch on him. He had trusted his God. Then the king commanded that the conspirators who had informed on Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Before they hit the floor, the lions had them in their jaws, tearing them into pieces. King Darius published this proclamation to every race, colour and creed on earth. Peace to you, abundant peace. I decree that Daniel's God shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He is the living God, world without end. His kingdom never falls. His rule continues eternally. He is a saviour and rescuer. He performs astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth. He saved Daniel from the power of the lions. From then on, Daniel was treated well during the reign of Darius and also on the following reign of Sirius the Persian. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. Do you know, I've got a bit of a confession to make. Okay. I don't really remember this story in Sunday school. (laughs) (laughs) I know of Daniel and the lion's den. Now we've got to rename the whole series. Yeah, thanks, John. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So we've got to ditch this episode. Well, you know when you think... I've obviously learnt it somewhere because I, yeah. I know of Daniel and the Lion's Den. Yeah, that's but, true. I but, wonder um, where it came from. School? What about um, maybe like songs about it? Maybe like a Dare to Be Daniel. Yeah, yeah band pieces and yeah. stuff. I but must like, admit I don't know it to the extent of like Noah's Ark or yeah. Mm, I like definitely didn't know it that well. I'm reading these words like I'm not, I don't think I've ever read this story. No, mm. like, it's crazy. Mm. The concept of it is so familiar, though, isn't it? Which yeah. is what's strange. Yeah, it's really strange. What stood out to you reading it again based on your like limited study of it up to this point? For me, it was actually Daniel's limited involvement with the story. That sounds weird, but like mm. a lot of the story focused on, firstly, the... What do they call them? King. King? Darius? No. Regents. Like the, the vice regents. religious people. The vice regents. I was wondering what they would be called in another translation because that was a very unusual name. Yeah. Traveller. Administrators in the NIV. In the oh yeah, it sounds like they're political. I was going to say sound political. Well, one thing that stood out to me was um, it seems quite a modern situation because I um, I think the thing that stood out to me most of all um, is when. The king puts Daniel into the lion's den, but he kind of does this almost like whisper on the way in, like, mm. it's all right, you're going to be all right. And I just thought, it seems so funny that he's the king, but he's he's got to think about the perception of it all. Mm. So he has to punish Daniel because he has broken the law that he set up in the first place. Um, so he's got to do that for the appearance of it even though he clearly doesn't feel this is the right thing and he doesn't believe in the law anyway. It just reminds me of like modern politics of you've got to think about how it looks, not what actually the right thing to do is a lot of the time. Yeah, mm. That's what I was getting at. The story was a lot about these guys trying to trap 
Daniel basically and then the other, second half of the story was about the king and his sort of turmoil you don't hear about Daniel in the den mm. or Daniel's praying mm. specifically you hear about how the king felt about it and his like guilt before he put him in and then his you know anxiety to get there the next morning and find out if he was right to trust in Daniel's God mm. but um it is a lot like our modern leaders like how many times do they go against things that they've put in place for example Dominic Cummings <laughs> very recent example a law's been put in place and then one of them goes and breaks it mm. but the king didn't do that he said I've put this law in place and I've got to follow it even though it might mean risking someone's life so that's an interesting conundrum to be in, isn't it? Well, the thing that stood out for me, like in like the what you're saying about Lucy, is how it's almost like the king has a faith, but he's afraid of his faith, mm. so he accepts the the law of you know the thirty days old praise comes to me, even though he didn't want that, but like he almost lives it through Daniel. So like Daniel's like. No, I'm going to continue praying. I'm going to fast and all that. And the king's like, "Oh, that's that's exactly how I want to be, almost in faith." That's kind of what I got from that. So sort of similar, like you almost see like the two things. You see like the really strong in faith, and then the person that has a faith but's too almost afraid to yeah. yeah. To well, share it's, it. it's funny why he would bring the law in in the first place if yeah. he believes in this God and understands that. Um, Daniel will be saved because of his faith. It's it was, funny that yeah. he didn't think of that when he decided to bring the law in. No, it's almost Which, like um, a bit of peer pressure. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like from And I can imagine that being the case in Parliament, almost. I bet you there's there's probably occasions where, you know, members of our Parliament, you know, want to do something, but the peer pressure of having to perform a certain way or whatever means yeah. that they can't do what they want. yeah. And I could almost see see that in that. Yeah, because it's like, when he realises what he has to do, verse 14 says, The king was very upset and he tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix they'd put him in. He worked at it the whole day long. So it's like he spends all day trying to work out how to undo this mess he's put himself in, mm. in putting Daniel in danger. And then he goes, oh, hang on, I'll just trust in God. <laughs> yeah. But even not even his own God. He's like, I'll trust in Daniel's God. Yeah. And I'll let Daniel do the trusting for me do you know what I mean yeah. it's like he doesn't that's not his first initial response like oh god will sort this out he's like I'll do it and then he's like actually I can't do this <laughs> yeah strange isn't it I don't immediately see uh, the king's faith to being god I think I I immediately see it as more faith in Daniel mm. um, I I don't know I just feel like I'm very I'm quite intrigued like I was thinking about when you, re Joe and Lucy, were reading how um, that the relationship they have with them. So, so Daniel six, obviously, there's much before that tells the story, the context pre this. So Daniel was um, essentially he was prime minister of state. He was a first commissioner for under King Darius, in charge of the treasury and of the great seal. So he had massive responsibility, um, which was why the other administrators or vice-chancellors, vice-regents, vice-regents were probably very jealous of him yeah. because of who he was, because of the position he was. And in previous chapters of Daniel in 1 to 5, 
um, does mention how he, like, Darius's rule was huge, so he'd conquered lots of land and he ruled over princes and all of these things and he was preferred over all of these people. So I think when you read it like one to six, you kind of get this, well, why are they so annoyed and mm. jealous over him? But King Darius rules over this massive nation. He's won lots of wars. He's conquered all this land. He rules over over 120 princes. He has this massive treasury. And Daniel's right at the top of it. And he's preferred. So he mm. may not be higher than them politically or in terms of the status, but he's a nicer person. So already the character of Daniel must... Like, it shines out quite clearly that this king, he doesn't have to like Daniel because he's a Jew and because of all these other things. He doesn't seem to have any like principality behind him or royalty connected to him, but he's liked. He has something about him. And I think that the relationship between the king and Daniel really like, strikes me as interesting because yeah. what is it in Daniel that the king sees? Is it he has faith in Daniel because he thinks Daniel can get through it? Is that because Daniel displays to him an air of faith? Is that he, because he shows that? So it's like what you guys were saying about he has faith in that. Is mm. that he sees Daniel's faith and believes in that before believing in the actual God and then he believes in him at the end? Because mm. sometimes I find it very difficult when you're talking to people who, are, who aren't of faith and you say something like, I'm praying for you or you like indicate that you're trying to support them in a in a way that you know how to like what you do in times of difficulty you would lean on god and you lean on your faith mm. and it's i really struggle when not saying you know well, let's give it to god or let's do these things because i have to be mindful that they're not mm. in that mindset but i'm also very aware that i have to be the example of those things in those times and i don't i try to be it's not easy I tried to be those examples, like when things have happened with us, I've tried to show those things, but it must, Daniel must have been an incredible man of faith mm. for the king to have liked him that much, first of all, but to have seen that in him. Yeah. Mm. That really strike, strikes me, I think. Um, there's certainly been times when I've like almost had faith by proxy um, and I've sort of leaned on the the faith of other people more than my own mm. um so sometimes when i felt a bit like oh none of this makes sense and i don't quite understand it and i don't know what god's doing or if he's even there mm. there's been times when i've <coughs> sorry sorry <laughs> really sorry um there's been times when i've looked to other people who i think of as like great people of faith and mm whether that be pastors or um, older people who've lived their whole life um, with what seems to be a strong faith or people who are going through really hard situations but still have faith. Mm. And I look to those people and it kind of gives me strength. Um, and I think it's unhealthy when you look to those people the whole time and you don't have your own faith. But I think sometimes you need those moments of looking to those around you and kind of be part of that mm. faith community and it can get you through those harder times. Mm. Um, and I wonder if Daniel is one of those people, like you say, Beth, who, for whatever reason, the king trusts in God through him in that moment. 
maybe it's because um, the king can see the effect of God in his life and the difference that he makes, or maybe it comes out through his behavior and Mm. the way he conducts himself. I mean, we've already seen early on in Daniel 6 that these people are trying to find something wrong and that says they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, Mm. he wasn't corrupt or negligent, and it's like they have to... They have to go to the bottom of the barrel and try and fabricate something. Yeah. And even then, it's um, it shows that Daniel's a man of integrity. Mm. I mean, I totally agree. And I think there's there's like there's parts in the in the story that, oh, like we were saying in the last episode, um, when we were saying about a lot of the Old Testament stories, you can still relate to Jesus, and you can see Jesus through the Old Testament. And there's like little things in this and I automatically think of some of the stories of Jesus so like in uh, Daniel 6 17 and 18 it says a stone slab was placed over the opening of the den Mm. the king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all the nobles it's almost like the stone in front of the tomb and then so like automatically when we read that I was like oh my goodness Daniel is almost like a forecoming of who Jesus was and it's almost like a little bit of a taster to what the main thing's going to be mm. and then even the verse after that was just powerful and it links in what you were saying Joe it's like the king then went back to his palace he refused supper he couldn't sleep he spent the night fasting it's almost like he reli- you know he'd spent all this time with with Daniel and kind of going deeper in Daniel's faith which made him kind of feel like well, kind of fill on fire. So, like, you know, when we do stuff like these summer camps and summer schools with um, with the young people in the Salvation Army and you sort of feel there's the presence of God is there and you kind of not get swept up in it, but you, you do feel the warmth of that. And I wonder if if the king, you know, king Darius felt that in, in spending time with Daniel and then felt the presence of God... So much so that he went back to his palace and he refused supper. He couldn't sleep because he was thinking this whole time about faith and stuff, and he felt troubled because he almost sent this man to to death in his eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was my kind of musings on that. It's like that thing where you. It's like more important what you do when you make a mistake than the fact that you've made the mistake. Yeah. yeah. It's like he knows he's done something wrong, but he can't. He can't forget about that, and mm. he. He tries to do the right thing later on. Yeah, and it kind of, again, <laughs> going back to the Easter story, it kind of links how the centurion was with, you know, sending Jesus to death, basically. He looked up at the cross and saw Jesus hanging there and felt ashamed that he did. He had a part in that. And it's mm. almost like this. So it says about the stone slab was placed and the king sealed it and then the king couldn't sleep. It's almost mm. like the same, almost like a parallel between, yeah. yeah, his whole story of that and then the Jesus story. I saw that thing about the signet ring too and I was very confused because it said sealed it, so I was picturing like, you know, like a wax seal on an envelope mm. and I was like, how is that going to keep the stones together? <laughs> <laughs> it's gorilla glue. <laughs> <laughs> but I presume it's a bit more um, hypothetical mm. than Symbolic. That. It's interesting though, yeah. isn't it? Saying about it's the king's signet ring as well as the signet rings of all the nobles fixing Daniel's fate. Mm. So it's almost like 
Yeah, what does it signify? Yeah. Signifies mm. that Daniel was hated by, by all these kind of, I don't know what they could call them. <clears throat> Not foes, but... As uh, contemporaries. But th- thinking about what you just said, like, so the nobles and the king fixed his fate and you guys can't see me, but I'm doing like quote marks. But the irony is they didn't actually fix his fate because God is the one who does that. Mm. Mm. So that's like really ironic, isn't it really, that they think they're the ones sending him to death. And it's like, well, actually, God's like, you think you have power over life and death? I do. I'm the one who decides that. And I mean, that is a very big statement. You know, it's a very, like, I think that's one of the, that is a very difficult thing, you know, as Christians, when we try to deal with the big questions about God is about death and deciding when the time is right and you know there's arguments for lots of things about death and when that's going to happen and but ultimately we serve a god who is the ruler of life and death god had reign over that that moment and it wasn't the men that made that decision it was god mm. Mm. but then what the men did was seal their own fate because they ended up getting thrown to the lions true which again is not part of my sunday school version <laughs> and so with their wives and children i know i was just it's looking at absolutely that absolutely brutal that horrible yeah. mad so mad the picture i have of daniel in the lion's den is like um <laughs> i don't think you get this so much in the salvation army but in like um church of england you often get like hand sewn like almost quilts of like bible stories and sometimes they're like hung up on the wall sometimes they're like altered cloths like mm. mm. a tapestry yeah yeah but not like woven oh. like sewn together and i'm picturing this like sewn <laughs> scene of like the lions in a pit and then daniel is like this humble guy in you know the standard kind of robes you see mm like probably not in the pit but like next to the pit having just not been eaten but then it doesn't show you all the conspirators wives and children yeah, then being no. thrown to the lions because of what their husbands did no they usually That's... just show daniel kind of hugging the lion don't they yeah. smiling yeah something like... pretty cash you know these are my new cat friends <laughs> yeah <laughs> you don't see the aftermath or how it came to that. But it says, um, verse 24, at the king's command. So that's mm. like the actions of men. That's what I was confused by. Why Why did he turn on them so brutally? Mm. I can see... I know why he would be annoyed with them for what they did. But is it not... Could he not have used this as an, a lesson to be like, look what God did and create more followers for this new God that they're discovering? rather than just kill them for what they but did. Maybe he's so fed up with them, because like, it sounds like they're like really like petty, annoying, like <laughs> always trying to find like loopholes and like trying to bring people down. Yeah. And he just, he snapped. He's like, oh, for goodness sake, this is the last straw. Mm. You're trying to get rid yeah. of this guy who... Probably one of the best we've got. Yeah, <laughs> like has integrity. I mean, I, I, underst- I don't understand, but I can... There is justification for the men, but it's the wives and children that's like... What did they do? You know, that's like John committing a crime and me going to prison for it. Yeah, you know, too. Right. Without having any, <laughs> without having any knowledge of it whatsoever. Like, not like I was, mm. you know, conspiracy. Yeah, yeah I wasn't yeah, yeah. associated that, with it. That feels very of the time, though, doesn't it? Like, mm. yeah. they've killed the men and their possessions, their family. Yeah. Like, because they are part yeah. of the man. This, mm. they're the man's family. Yeah. So therefore, they are all one body. They were noblemen. Mm. They were high up. To have gone to, you know, I mean, not I'm saying that it's a nice fate to be thrown out, thrown to the lions, but... It's that, not that nice, no. 
That's not something not, I'd want to do on a Sunday afternoon. It's, um, <laughs> it's quite, yeah, it's a bit mad really, isn't it? It's all mm. those things that we've said before that you don't, that are just omitted from Sunday, obviously. Yeah. But it's, those interesting, there's always those lines, isn't there, in the Bible, like when we done these stories about the children, there was one of them, oh, yeah. there was one about Palm Sunday when they were like banging babies' heads or something. Mm. There's always these random... They, like, smashed the babies to the pavement or something, yeah. It was yeah. horrible. And you just they just suddenly get dropped in and you're reading and you're like, whoa, where did it's that come almost, from? You're almost blind to them because you sort of read... You're sort of like scan them didn't Literally. you so, and the babies are dead on the floor yeah. and Jesus is like oh, oh oh what's that there for we almost just take out what we want and yeah. kind of forget about things because we try to sugarcoat it when actually we should probably be talking to kids about this mm. and almost saying actually don't quite understand why the the mum and the, the baby have been thrown in as well a little bit weird but you, you know instead of just like but as Lucy said, you can educate them and say that's yeah, what culture was what culture like then. Like, that's yeah. what they understood as. But instead of just like ignoring it and kind of just expecting, mm. you know, making just... a nice tapestry of smiling lions. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's almost like the lions are made into the like hero of the story. Mm. It's like oh, and the good old lions didn't eat yeah. Daniel, but it's like yeah, but because of God and <laughs> because yeah. of all that, yeah. like the lions aren't the integral part of the story. They probably really wanted to eat him as well. He probably, you know deserve to be in yeah and from our experience with cats if there's food around they okay. do not hold back <laughs> no one bit that stood out for me was verse 23 when it says um and when daniel was lifted from the den no wound was found on him mm-hmm. because he had trusted in god i feel like it stands out for me because of that kind of link between he was okay because he trusted in god because there's so many situations in life where you're not okay even though you trust in God. Mm. Um, and I suppose in one way, you wouldn't, you don't fill the Bible full of times where it seems like God wasn't there because it seems like he didn't take any action. But I feel like it's almost setting up this false promise. Mm. Sometimes it feels like when you read this bit, um, it's like making a link of saying you're going to be okay because you trust in God. I feel like... It's important to make a distinction between the big picture and the small picture. Yeah. Mm. And sometimes you're not okay in the small picture and it feels like God isn't there in the small picture and the bit of the picture you can see right there and then. On the whole, you can look back and say that you were okay because God was there. Yeah. Even in even if in a physical way, in a practical way, in a um, emotional way you weren't okay I guess ultimately when God is with you you can get through these times mm. yeah no I agree Joe. I think um, I always get a little bit frustrated because it's easy to take those things out of context but I also think we have to really think about actually when those types of things happen it's about it's the human will versus God's will and while that can be really difficult for us to understand, so in that moment, that was God's will that he survived because there was a purpose for him after that. Mm. If he had died, that would have been that would have been because that was God's will. And that is something that's really, really difficult for us as human beings to understand, I think. While we may not see it in that moment or a year later, ten years later, you know what, we may not ever actually understand it because ultimately... <laughs> That's God's will. We, 
I don't think our human brains have the capacity to ever understand that type of thing. Maybe when one day when we get to heaven, we can say, why did that happen to me then? Well, why, mm. you know, why did I... And, you know, it's very easy for us, I think, at the moment, for us in particular, we're very blessed in the sense that we haven't had, you know, a tragedy of such great that we question those types of things. Mm. But, you know, I think about people who've lost children or loved ones too soon and those types of things you think how can that be god's will for something to happen so cruelly or mm. you know all those things and you know yes i don't know i don't have the answers i don't know why that those things happen all i have to know is that i have faith in a god that um protects and that is doing things for the goodness of you know for developing my relationship with him and for an eternity with him and sometimes I get I don't understand that and I get mad and confused about that and other times I can sit and grapple with it but I do think you're there is a danger like you said Joe of that those things can creep in because they can give you that false sense of security or it's okay if I'm going to do this or oh but the bible said that this verse in Daniel said he was okay but I came away and I wasn't mm -hmm. and that can that can eat away at your kind of belief and your faith and mm how you live your life and relationship with God. So it can be very tetchy. That's a good mm. word. <laughs> yeah, Maybe we need to change our definition of being okay mm. instead of expecting God to change what he wants for us. Yeah. And it's not all, you know, life isn't all sunshine and fluffy babies and all that. Fluffy yeah. babies. Fluffy so babies. No, you I need to say fluffy No, no, leave that babies. in. Leave that in. Fluffy, I think. fluffy babies. I mean, I want to like, know how you're dressing babies in rolling them in glue yeah, and glue and then shoving feathers. Them in <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what that meant. Um, fluffy clouds is what I meant. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. So life isn't all sunshine and fluffy clouds. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, there's dark moments and there's. Mm really crap moments and I think we almost fool ourselves by thinking it's all sunshine and roses don't we yeah and I think I think this almost is a proof of that as well um, yeah. but also right why do most of the Old Testament stories finish in death <laughs> in that way yeah there's like a definite shift I feel in my head there's an Old Testament story and a New Testament story yeah like an Old Testament story is like your family's dead New Testament, Jesus brings the daughter back to life. Like, and it's just, uh... Yeah, and often it feels like God's very present in the Old Testament and he seems more uh, distant in the New Testament in a funny way, which is it sounds funny saying it aloud because I feel like you have more of a relationship with him in the New Testament, but mm. I feel like he, he speaks a lot more verbally in the Old Testament. I don't know if that's right. Mm. It represents, doesn't it, our relationship, like the Old Testament is the Old Covenant and then the New is, that's what Testament means, Covenant. And Jesus is the life, isn't it? He mm. brings the, so they all end in, you know, life because that I think that mirrors what your relationship like now with Jesus in your life is going to be. Mm. So the New Testament stories end with being raised from the dead or end with stories of life and hope because... That's what Jesus is. Whereas mm. in the Old Testament, they didn't have that. So it is death because there isn't 
um, that isn't that new covenant. There isn't that new promise in Jesus. He's not there yet. Mm. That's to come. That's to be prophesied. That's to be brought in later. Mm. With Daniel, the worst thing they could find about him, worst thing that they could find, accuse him of, was he was, quote, unquote, Mark's too religious. Yeah. And that really struck me that there was, you know, they tried to find all these faults in him, but his biggest fault was that he was too religious. And that was what they were able to accuse him of. And Mm. I remember um, once we had a, was it? I think it was summer school. Was it summer school? I think there was like a question that said, um, if you were, oh, what is, I think it's something like, if you were accused of being a Christian, would you stand up as guilty? Or is, that's not the right words, and I've definitely butchered that, and I'm really sorry whoever <laughs> said that. But it's something along those lines of, like, if you were to stand up and hold up, a, like, what's your worst accusation? Would like is being a christian like the worst one that you could be Mm. you know and i think about that's his worst thing that he was he followed a god and i think about all the people in the world that are persecuted for that Mm. and how we live in a world that's so we're very religiously free in a sense Mm. but while i'm definitely not equating this to the persecution of christians in the east I think if, you know, if we go out into our community and if we did our market stall church like we've done before and if we read out the Bible, people would often look at us very weirdly, wouldn't they? There would be an element of... Like, that wouldn't be liked. It wouldn't be so- culturally or socially normative for us to do that. So I think it's quite an interesting thing to think about him as a religious practice. He prayed a lot and that's how they caught him out. His devotion to God, his ritually, his ritual prayers, mm. his um, him, him not wavering in that way. He was solely and devoted to God in his life. He lived that out. It was obvious to all men. And I just think it's a real cause, a call as a challenge to us that actually in our lives, you know, if people were going to look at us, could they accuse us of being like that? You know, could they single that out of us, that we were those type of people? We were people that were god-honoring that lived lives that were devout to him that's Mm. not an easy thing to do i think daniel was a real example to us as people it's a tough thing to live up to i i feel like looking at him i'm like whoa that's massive you know to live that devoted and i strive for that every day and i'm gonna fail because i'm human Mm. i think it's a really good it's a beautiful example of how we should strive to try to be i feel that was a great way to end beth thanks for that um Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Does that sound really sarcastic? A little bit. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. <laughs> hmm, totally agree, Beth. <laughs> I don't know how I can say it without making it sound sarcastic. Your words were good. Your child say the words again. Not. I can't remember what I said. I think that was a good way to end, Beth. But how do I make that sound on set? No, it was fine. It was fine. Let's, okay. Whatever you do. We'll be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, thanks. Well done, Beth. Wow, Beth. Wow. Thank you for coming, Beth. Well, Thank you so much. Beth. Well, that theology degree was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, 
thanks for tuning in guys it's been great to have you come along and join us at the table yeah thanks for those that have tuned in those that are regular listen uh, listeners thanks for coming back it's great to have you It'd be weird without you thanks so much <laughs> thanks so much for coming back uh keep a keep a watchful eye on the old spotify and apple and stuff it'll be good to to have you along for the next episode which is gonna be anyone jonah and the whale or jonah and the big fish oh, oh exactly oh. part of the discussion cliffhanger who's cliffhanger <laughs> <laughs> all right dad <laughs> come back for more of that um do give us a a follow on on spotify or on apple wherever you listen to these podcasts um also find us on social media It'd be great to sort of connect with you in that way um but it's uh, it's a goodbye from me, and it's a goodbye from Joe. Bye, yeah, and it's, it's a good high. Hi. <laughs> hi, my name is Joe. Uh, it's a goodbye from Lucy. <laughs> Bye. And it's goodbye from Bethers. Bye. Bye, Beth. And goodbye from the guests in the studio, um, Arthur and Emily. They're just staring. The one time they're quiet. Yeah, they. They're cats, by the way. <laughs> Not just these random people sitting in the lounge. They're like. our mothers. <laughs> Arthur. Imagine just two people just sitting here quietly. <laughs> Mum and Dad, Arthur and Emily, say hi. They don't talk much, they're mutes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon. Bye! Bye. And out.